KP, KPC, News, Information, Culture, KPCC, California Sensibility. Hi, I'm Rebecca Lair. And I'm Amy Choi, and we are the Mashup Americans. <clears throat> it's Olympics week, y'all. Are you guys ready to judge all the uniforms slash costumes and weep? During the opening ceremony, because I, I am. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have like eight <laughs> boxes of tissues. It's just yeah. so moving. I love it. Uh, everyone together under the flags. And then there's going to be the first um, like refugees team under the Olympic flag. Kosovo's going to be in it. South Sudan, which wasn't a country five years ago. It's unbelievable. It's going to be I amazing. You know, I will say, though, as much as I love the Olympics, it, it always brings out like one of those tensions in me and in being a mashup. But I think it seems silly but it's also one of the most persistent it's like when it comes to sports who do you root for like who do you cheer for in an event like the olympics or the world cup i think we all kind of feel that way it seems really silly but actually it's about allegiances and roots and maybe sometimes even our relationships with our parents or our grandparents and their relationships to their places of origin i find for myself i'm almost always cheering for team usa in in big world events On the other hand, you know, if El Salvador is playing or Brazil is playing, they have my heart. Like, I will go all in for them. Totally. I'm nodding vigorously as it's happening. Nobody else can. (laughs) Nobody can see that, but that's what's happening. No, they they can't. (laughs) It's pretty crazy to think about how, like, fandom can shape your life. Again, even when you're not really a sports, a true sports fan. Like, do I care about soccer? Not really. But in 2002, when Korea was hosting the World Cup and they were doing historically amazing, did I stay up all night, go to 4 a.m. games in Koreatown wearing, you know, weird Korea gear and then go to my job drunk at 8.30 in the morning? Yes, I did. Yes, you did. Very strong choice there. Thank you. Thank you. I I feel right about what I did when I was 22. But then again, you know, like I've also been a Cubs fan. I grew up as a Bulls fan. And then I moved to New York and became a Nets and a Giants fan. I have an affection for all of them because they're part of who I am. Right. And some people are much more like, I'm a Cubs fan for life because my dad was and my grandfather was, right? But there's this idea of kind of how your mashiness affects this, right? That you move around and maybe you go to college or for different jobs and and your fandom becomes a kind of a marker of your identity in a way. And those places and those sports teams get all mashed together and create this kaleidoscope of the different places and people that are really significant in your life. Yeah, I mean, it's actually like a really rich and interesting way to kind of dive into who we are. So today we're going to hear from two people, our dear friend Matt Ufford, an incredibly insightful sports writer and host with SB Nation, to talk about what it means to be a fan and how who you root for becomes part of who you are. And we are also going to hear from Philip Chu, an Olympic athlete and the star of our newest obsession, the all Asian American badminton team. The all-Asian American badminton team. Whoa. <laughs> it has a nice ring got, to it. <laughs> it does. A uh, real Olympian. So we do love being the best of things. <laughs> we're like both pretty <laughs> type A ladies. Mm, but mm-hmm. we're also honest about not being the best in the world at anything. And <laughs> so for us both, the idea of Olympians, like we're just fantastic, amazing, top-tier athletes being the best at, at, at something that they do and being one of a handful of people in the whole universe who does it is, uh, it's just so awe-inspiring. 
Also, Philip Chu has the best mashup story. His grandfather was a Thai Chinese badminton star, and he met his wife, Philip's grandmother, playing doubles badminton in Thailand. Then they moved to the U.S., and then they started a badminton training facility, a Thai restaurant, and another business all in one place. It's just such a great story. It is very American dream badminton version. Obviously. That's so good. Natural sentence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so here's Philip Chu, one of the great non-white hopes of American badminton. He's 22. He's going to the Olympics for Team USA. And we had him in the studio to share his story. My grandfather had me playing since I was one year and nine months. Um, my grandfather <laughs> took the real racket size and cut it down so the shaft was really short. So huh. it's a smaller racket. So it's easier for a young kid to um, hold and swing. And then he used a fishing pole and instead of hooking bait, he hooked the birdie so that I can swing at the birdie on the fishing pole. So you were pretty coordinated though, that means. Yeah, I must have come in the family because actually my parents met in ba- from playing badminton too at local high school, so must have got it from everyone in my family. And my grandparents played together when they were back then. Um, my grandma only played with my grandfather. They played some mixed doubles, but my grandfather was close to making the national team in Thailand back when he was there. Um, but unfortunately, back then, Thailand was one of the strongest badminton countries, and mm. so... He would probably be second tier or one of the first ones that didn't make it. Um, and then they eventually moved to Anaheim. Did you start competing super young as well? I played my first junior nationals at the age of five in like under 10 categories. So I was playing like eight and nine year olds and I was able to win the singles and doubles. It's kind of funny because I played mixed that year with Jamie, who's my mixed doubles partner, who we qualified for Olympics. And that was the only tournament we ever played until four years ago when we decided to partner together and try and qualify. So you and Jamie <laughs> are yeah. really a, a match made in heaven for this. That's pretty yeah. awesome. All seven of us are from Southern California. Three of us are currently training at my club because me and my two partners that qualified. Two other Olympians used to train at our facility for like, like 10 years. So um, oh they're goodness. actually sort of from us too. My cousins want to play and they're young so they can be part of the next generation and hopefully they'd be able to qualify as well along with my brother thank you so much philip all right thank you go philip we are team usa badminton all the way all the way a sentence we never thought we would say but we 100 percent mean it if we can find it on TV, we are so in. <laughs> so with that, let's talk to our friend Matt Ufford from SB Nation about why fans cheer the way they do and learn more about how sports create community and relationships because it's another opening ceremony this weekend and we know you all are about to have some serious red, white, and blue coursing through your veins. Uh, 
Hi, I'm Matt Ufford. I work for a company called SB Nation, which is part of the Vox Media umbrella, and uh, I talk about sports for a living. That's pretty fun. You forgot <laughs> the most important part of your resume, which is that you're one of my best friends. Oh, yes, our children play together. <laughs> it's true. Our, our children, children play, play together. together. And maybe they'll be athletes together. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Given that your daughter just learned how to walk, it might be a while before we find out. Yeah. Especially since she's like six now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, no, no. So can you tell us about your cheering allegiances? Like, where did you grow up and who do you cheer for? So I'm a bit of a, a complicated case uh, because I grew up with a father in the Air Force. He was a pilot and was uh, flying all over the world. And so we moved about every three years in the Air Force. Mm. Uh, and so I was born in Washington State uh, between Tacoma and Olympia. We moved when I was two years old, but my dad is from the Pacific Northwest. And so I grew up without uh, a real sense of home, like growing up in Oklahoma, Washington, D.C., New Jersey, Southern Illinois. We just moved all the time. And so I always thought of Washington State as home. And so my dad was a Mariners fan, Seattle Mariners. So I grew up a Mariners fan. He was a Seahawks fan, a group of Seahawks fan. And it was also a way for me to like feel connected to a place because I never really was growing up. So I'm a Seattle sports fan because of that. And my parents now, uh, my dad's retired from the Air Force. Uh, now works for the state of Washington. They're back in Washington, so it's once again home to me. But you just named so many places, and then <laughs> yeah. you said, of course, I'm a Seattle fan. How did that happen? When you grow up in uh, as a kid who moves every couple of years, I don't know how you guys, uh, you know, if you were in one place, but when you move every three years, it's hard to feel a sense of home. Right. And so for me, I grew up like knowing that I was born in Washington, and I knew that I loved the the tall trees and the mountains and I loved Seattle and and Tacoma and Olympia without ever having a great sense of what it was except for rooting for the sports teams uh, with my dad. So mm-hmm. it's kind of multi-pronged. It gave yeah. me a sense of home when I when I didn't have one and it also gave me a close connection to my father which you know for for a lot of men I think is why and how they end up in sports is it's like because uh, you know without getting too strictly uh, down uh, gender politics, I think that it's more likely that, that men and fathers are, are more taciturn and, and raising your kids to be sports fans is a way to connect with them without having to share real feelings. <laughs> well, totally. I mean, I think we think about that a lot. Like, how does fandom stretch across generations? That that tie can be as important as anything else. Being able to talk about the Mariners is so important to your relationship. Yeah, and it's still like I'm going to be 40 in a couple of years. My dad is... Uh, uh, my dad is in his 60s, and we still talk about uh, the Mariners, the Sounders, the Seahawks. And it's it's like it, when I call home, I talk to both my mom and my dad. My mom will dominate the conversation. And if it's just my dad, I get to have like a just a 10, 15-minute talk about sports with him, and it's great. Right. And, and like it's it's not like, oh, this is the only thing we have to talk about, but it's something that we talk about with ease. We're, we're two more taciturn people by nature, so uh, it's a way to connect with my dad. Right. So in a way, your job is like one long homage to your relationship with your father. Oh man, that's a that's that's dressing it up real nice. Because he must be I'm pretty the, proud though. So he's basically in therapy every time when he yeah. goes to work. Is yeah, what you're I'm deal. <laughs> my my day to day life is more like working in the gutters of the internet to talk about sports. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, sure, connect yeah. with my father too. Yeah, exactly. Well, I you know I totally hear you on that sense of how Seattle sports could root you to a place and give you a sense of home. Did you pick up any other teams? Like there were no tall trees and mountains in Southern Illinois. No, no, no. It's it's weird. I um 
Uh, when I lived in Southern Illinois, everybody was like a St. Louis Cardinals fan. And uh, the Mariners are in the American League. The Cardinals are in the National League. They have a, b- a bunch of success. But for, for many reasons, I didn't like Southern Illinois. I didn't really feel a connection to the people or the place. And I like rejected the Cardinals and all the fans outright. There's a there's also an interesting theory uh, from uh, the Men in Blazers, uh, uh, Michael Davies and Roger Bennett, who say that you're either a red or a blue. You either cheer for teams that are like red or blue. All of my teams are blue, blue slash green. And I and like those are my favorite like the colors. And I don't know of their teams. Yeah, like the and gym. I don't know, <laughs> and I don't know if my favorite colors are blue and green because that's how I grew up and identified it to a place, or if I like the teams first and therefore my colors, my favorite colors became that. I have no idea. That's so interesting. That also sounds crazy. Amy has gotten to the very heart of sports <laughs> fandom, which is that's crazy. Because yeah. sports fans make no sense whatsoever. And the minute that you accept that, like, how sports fans process uh, what they watch, it's disconnected from your intellect. It's all <laughs> emotional. This makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Because, like, I can get into any kind of championship series, sure, because I'm a human. Right. And, like, my heart starts pounding. And I'm like, who's going what? Oh, my God. But in the end, I'm like, oh. But they got so close. They tried really hard. They should feel really good about themselves. They won. <laughs> That's not how it works. Well, Rebecca, it's like has you win or you lose. Two theories of fandom, though, yeah. of cheering. One is that if somebody has a nice face, like yeah. LeBron. I don't even uh-huh. mean like handsome. I just mean like I like that person's face. I bet they have a nice like, mother. Yes. Like a good person. Yeah. yeah. And then the second theory of fandom and cheering is the colonized versus the colonizer. <laughs> but oh, wow. This metaphor can be stretched many ways. But if you think about, like, you know, we're talking about the Olympics, you know, like, are you going to root for Portugal or are you going to root for Brazil? But this is hard being <laughs> from also being from a big, like, I'm from L.A. and big city. And I, I will always cheer for an L.A. team. I mean, in the cases that I'm cheering for anything, I will cheer for an L.A. team. I get into it. But Cleveland hadn't won any. The Cavaliers had basically never won, right? Or in sure. a, a million years. And so when they're playing, it's just like totally emotional because I like a, an underdog story. Yeah. No, I think um, uh, I've actually done uh, I've, I've written about uh, the United States men's national team in soccer mm. uh, before the World Cup. And one of the reasons that makes them so likable, in my opinion, going into the World Cup is it's one of the rare instances where the American team is an underdog. And yeah. it gives people a chance to root for the United States as an underdog. It's something that uh, we always want to identify with. But when we go into the Olympics, it's very rarely the case. Right. And what's interesting also about like the Olympics or other global sports, except for the World Cup, is that the U.S. is the way we see the um, like the sports that we're shown or like what we actually see on art on NBC in the states. <laughs> you would think oh, there are only the American sports champions. that Americans <laughs> are champions of, right? NBC gives us a very tightly packaged uh, version of the Olympics. But as a person who likes the um, human interest stories, I'm very pleased with how they explore yeah, that, that. That's going to check your boxes then. Yes, uh, I'm like, oh, look at his mom. She seems lovely. And then I cry. And now a word from our sponsors. 
When hybrid cars were first introduced, Californians were the earliest adopters of this new technology. Now, once again, we have the opportunity to lead the charge in the new era of green innovation with the Toyota Mirai. Innovative, efficient, and reliable, Mirai embodies Toyota's vision of the future and meets the world-class standards we've come to expect from Toyota. Mirai's fuel cell technology combines oxygen from the atmosphere with hydrogen from its fuel tank to produce its own energy, with water as its only byproduct. Californians have always been ahead of the curve when it comes to new eco-friendly invention. And with Mirai now available in California, we again have the chance to be leaders in the next evolution of green automotive technology. Enjoy the future of driving today. For more information, visit toyota.com slash M-I-R-A-I. Well, so as non-sports fans here at Mashup HQ, we're very much attached to individual people and mm. their stories. We are all about the Oprahization yeah. of the Olympics. <laughs> but, you know, so as somebody who actually understands sports, do you follow athletes? Are there specific teams that you root for in the Olympics? Like, who do you cheer for in the Olympics? I'm pretty tried and true pr patriot growing up in a military family, having served in the military myself. Matt's a Marine. So, yeah, I'm basically rooting for American athletes. But I think that as I've worked more in sports media and as I've, as I've gotten used to the NBC packaging, I'm more, <laughs> open, I'm, I'm more open to cheering for athletes from other countries. Part of it, too, is, is the struggle. I don't know if that's the right. But, like, thinking about how many resources American athletes have relative to, say, the first South Sudanese athlete to be in the Olympics, right? That right. Like, like, she just got a country five years ago. I mean... And now yeah. she's in the Olympics. Like, come on. So my family's from El Salvador, and my uncle was just telling me about... Uh, you might know this, but, like, the losingest <laughs> World Cup game ever... I think was like El Salvador and maybe Hungary and it was like 11 to 1 <laughs> and and this was during It's this... hard to get 11 goals in soccer. Yeah, yeah. and it, well and there was this Salvadoran team who it was during the civil war in El Salvador. I mean these they they were going from war to go play in this they barely had shirts on their back and they're going to play and they were just so excited about being there that they just lost their shit. <laughs> they have in history like a place in history as the most losing team. <laughs> but that story of them coming from the place they were in in that moment to escape that and to get to be part of this kind of global excitement and competing for something that wasn't for, like, their lives is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you you look at what um, uh, the U.S. Uh, Olympic team has set up for them, for them in, in Colorado Springs. I interviewed a bunch of Olympians this spring, and uh, we asked them about, like, what's, what's your standard day? And they were able to, like, every single one was like, well, you know, I get up at 6 a.m., uh, have a little, little bit of oatmeal. We have our first training package. I come back. I have, uh, you know, a second breakfast, uh, mm -hmm. take a little nap. Then it's weights. And then uh, another meal. And then it's our second workout of the day. And then I come back, take another nap. And it's basically just rest, fuel, and training. <laughs> right. And it's, it's, very, it's very regimented. And, you know, for the guy who's going to be the whitewater kayaker in the Olympics, they have that set up for him. And he lives in Colorado Springs, and that's, that's what he does every single day. Mm. And you look at just Olympians go through, American Olympians go through their own set of sacrifices, giving their entire lives over to this. Mm. But if you get to that place, you also have a lot more resources than if you're the Sudanese athlete. Why do you think we get so excited about these personal stories or being able to like get in with 
people. What have you learned in kind of your investigations of fandom? Why do we get so excited about that? Uh, I think that there's a, a certain level of, um, I don't want to say hero worship, but this this dream that it could have been us if we like, like we close our eyes and, re- and we imagine ourselves as as that Olympian, as that as a famous athlete. I think that's part of the reason that uh, NBC tries to give you that uh, that that teary package so that you know more about them, you can imagine their life story, feel closer to them. And, you know, the more that you learn about them, there's so much of sports where it's everybody is kind of like fulfilling their dreams by watching the athletes themselves. Mm -hmm. So I grew up swimming every single summer and I was never that good. But I naturally gravitate towards the swimming events in the Olympics just because that's what I have familiarity with. And it's not like I, I see could see myself as being Michael Phelps, but I, get, I think part of it is knowing how much better and what they're able to do than that. And I, and I think that it's all about like, wow, in order to do what they're doing takes so much. And, and that's what I really think it is. It's, it's just like, wow, either I could do that. If you're not if you're not really informed, like, oh, man, I'm closing my eyes and dreaming I'm at that person. Or if you're a little bit more informed of the situation, it's like I know what they've done and that makes it more impressive. It's a parallel or a, a corollary to the American dream, right? You can do it. And I mean, both anybody can do it and also only extraordinary people mm-hmm. can make these things happen. With hard work and dedication and and, uh, and elbow grease, you can you can make it to the Olympics. Right. And, but then the reality is that, like, also you need some kick-ass jeans. I mean, right. uh, or like, uh, yeah, I'm like, or I couldn't even hang from the <laughs> bar in, like, the physical fitness test. Yeah, Were you right. not, Middle like, school? a presidential athlete? What was that in, like, the second grade? I can't. You had to do, like, I, 100 push-ups. Or, it doesn't matter. No. Presidential fitness test. Presidential yeah. fitness. It's like being, the Olympics <laughs> to me is like the ultimate aspiration. Yeah. Right. On the global stage. And there's something, and I just, I don't care how cynical everybody gets. Yeah. Like I don't, and Matt, I know that you've actually done some reporting on this, but like, I don't care that there's Zika. I don't care that Brazil is super corrupt. Like, of course I care on like, on different levels sure. and in separate contexts. But in this case, to me, it's like, wow, that kid and in a lot of cases they really are just kids oh my goodness oh yeah has worked literally their entire life to be in this one spot like let's honor that there's something really incredible about that totally that's one of the things that i i totally agree with you amy i find so amazing but at the same time uh i was talking about the the poisoned water of rio Mm -hmm. and that the the thing the water for the sailing events and for the rowing events is basically if you do it you've got a very good chance of getting sick from the viruses in the water but it's like, what can rowers do? Like, this is the the Olympics is literally like their only chance to have any sort of visibility on a national or international stage. Where you're going to boycott the Olympics? It's like, well, that's that's what you've dedicated your entire life to, right? And so you're just going to have to do that. I'm the same way with you that I think that the uh, the ideal of the Olympics stands for something more than whatever cluster f is going on in rio but at the same time it's like oh man that's a tragedy really that uh these people who have given their over their lives to this are going to be put at risk and also that all the people there who live there all the time have been like displaced or they're they're never getting (laughs) good water right i mean all of this stuff that like why do some things get prioritized over others like why is this it's just the same right as the world cup like why is this 
crazy infrastructure that costs billions of dollars. Somehow can, there's money for that, and yet there's not money to give people good lives every day. Yeah, yeah. it's a bummer. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a big, bummer. it's a bummer. <laughs> Next episode, it's ice cream eating season, and we have our favorite ice cream makers on our show. Natasha and Freya of Cool House Ice Cream and Ludlow's Cocktails are talking with us about starting businesses, being married, and how you choose your sperm donor when you're lesbian mashups. Subscribe at iTunes.com slash mashup and get it first. So who are some teams globally that like that people universally root for? That I don't think there's any universal. Uh, I'm rooting uh, for good, South Sudan. Anybody who is not is an asshole. I'm yeah. just putting that oh, out Jamaica there. in Cool Runnings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think that like anything that's, a, that's an obvious underdog, you look at, uh, there's a famous story of like Eddie the Eagle uh, in the Olympics of, gosh, 1988, 1980. I no longer know, but the the ski jumper who was like terrible at ski jumping. Like anybody who is just like really happy to be there is is that like anyone who's not a threat to win at all and does it with a smile on their face, like they're just happy to be there. Those are the athletes that everybody ends up liking because yeah. they're not going to get in the way of your country's medal count. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that everybody, when when it comes to the the opening ceremonies, people will like the, the teams that are happiest to be there. They'll like the teams that have like, the coolest uniforms and like Greece is always likable because they had the first Olympics and right. they always lead the procession. Wait, Matt, I'm having a flashback to being in your apartment like four years ago and watching. The, there was some sort of drinking game happening during the opening ceremony. That, that's definitely something I've done. Yes. Yeah. 2012 was in London and uh, for SB Nation, I came up with like a drinking game that was basically like anytime they go super British on you, you're going to take a drink. And it was like the Britishest thing ever. Well, like when like Mary Poppins came from the sky or something. <laughs> yeah. And like yeah, James exactly. Bond and the, the Queen. Precisely. Yeah. So. Oh, wait. And then wasn't there a whole thing about y- universal health care? Yes, there, there was, was a universal nurse. Healthcare. There was nurses? There was, there was like a whole Tolkien thing. Like it was... <laughs> It could not have been much more British. God, I love that. How? Oh, if we, yeah. we we should be so lucky that the Brazil games are very Brazilian. Um, because I how like how great samba is, and naked people uh, and, the whole uh, time. And beautiful people <laughs> yeah. with great I'm okay music. With yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay with that. I have a very important question, which is that uh, we are well-established crybabies over here. Yeah. Clearly crying a lot about um, Margaret Ramat Ramat Hassan, the South Sudanese runner that I'm now obsessed with. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. Does the Olympics make you cry? I'll cry the Nike ad. So we've yeah. got, we, you know, we're there. <laughs> it's interesting to see how this will change. So uh, I've become a parent in the last uh, just two years. Uh, it'll be two years in October. And I, I now cry at like commercials mm-hmm. on, the, on the regular. Like I, this weekend, this weekend I was at the, the aquarium and I was watching just a very standard sea lion show with, with my, <laughs> uh, my daughter, who's like a year and nine months. And uh, just like something like watching her face as, as like, a sea lion show is like the most rote thing. Like, and like, here's the part where they talk about like, don't throw bottles away, recycle them because they go in the ocean. If you've seen one, you have seen them all. But like, the fact that I get to watch my daughter see it for the first time, and like, I'm starting to choke up just talking about it. Oh, and like, so so now Goosies. now I'm like the most I'm the most <laughs> like like uh, prone to crying person ever. So I, I'm I'm curious to see how the Olympics will affect me. 
parenthood just rewires you. The thing is that we say we joke that we're not super fans, but any sports movie, like you cannot stop me. Remember the Titans, <laughs> oh, Hoosiers, yeah. Miracle, Breaking Away. I don't. I mean, any best. single one. And it's all basically the same movie. Like exactly every sports movie has the exact same arc, but it's a really effective arc, and oh, that's the why. Most. Well, that's I cry. I cry when like, there's a mar- when the marathon runs by. I can't even believe people use their time to do a marathon. Like, if you really ask me, but I actually in that moment I'm like, we're all together. I'm like, there's so many people here, and we're experiencing this together collectively. And oh, these yeah. people work so hard, and then I'm just suddenly weeping. You know, I'm broken, but or my heart is really big. I can't tell. Your heart is really big. Your heart is really big. And Matt, I'm very excited to hear that your adorable baby girl, who I love with all my heart has broken open your heart, too. Yes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, thank you, Matt Ufford from SB Nation. It was so fun having you on and helping us understand that it's not that we're crazy for not understanding fandom, but that fans are actually just crazy. Oh, absolutely. That's the one lesson to be given. (laughs) And thank you for being part of our affirmative action program. You are the third white man we've had on our show. Anytime you've had too much diversity, I'm the white guy for you. That was our friend Matt Ufford of SB Nation. You can find him on Twitter and all the other socials at Matt Ufford. This reminds me, this whole conversation, <clears throat> that I need to rewatch one of my favorite underdog sports movies, which is also one of my favorite genres of movie, the movie Miracle with Kurt Russell. Mm, hello. What is Miracle <laughs> with Kurt Russell? It is about the 1980 Olympics ice hockey championship between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, but it's actually about the Cold War, and the U.S. is the underdog, and I'm going to just make a huge spoiler here, except these are the facts that you should know from history, is that the U.S. won, and it is a great movie. Am I going to cry? Yeah, of course you're going to cry. There's so much, like, swelling music (laughs) and sweaty, handsome men and good stories. Well, this is definitely (laughs) my kind of movie. I'm very excited to see what kind of beautiful miracle story comes out of this Olympics. I mean, sincerely, seeing the athletes, seeing how hard they work, seeing how hard their families have worked to get them there, it really, it moves me. And I, I I can't believe that we've actually also had an Olympian on our show. I feel like a winner. We are winners by proxy. We are right. Olympians. So <laughs> we're also the Mashup Americans. And I am Rebecca Lear. And I'm Amy Choi. Our producer today was Jocelyn Gonzalez. Our show is produced by American Public Media and Southern California Public Radio, KPCC. We're also supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Bye. Bye. Bye.